Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Turn off the cartoons, turn off uh, game day. And listen to the weekly wrap of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Heritage Digital, thank you. Um, for those of you that uh, on the big spur that decided to have a drinking game with the podcast, which I love, uh, there you go. Take a shot. Heritage Digital. i <laughs> uh, got to thank them for the news and notes segment each and every time. Um, Saturday, do they still have cartoons on Saturday? I, I don't know. Somebody somebody let me know that because I, I Saturday mornings, especially during the fall, I'm not even uh, thinking about <clears throat> watching anything, but I'll maybe have game day on sometimes. I'm not a big game day guy, by the way. I don't, you know, some people live by it. If I'm out and about and it's on like when I'm at a brunch or something or at the bar, don't make fun of me for eating brunch on Saturday. Sometimes you just have to. You need the Bloody Marys or the mimosas. Today's not one of those days for me, but uh Anyway, I'll watch it. I'll check it out. But I'm not. I'm not like a big game day guy. I'm not a big. Uh, I don't have the problems with ESPN because I used to work there, like some people do. Um, but I'm not. I'm not a big ESPN watcher. You know, I'll watch the games, but that's it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll catch the 30s for 30s on on demand or something like that. But anyway, uh, need to be here with me because it's South Carolina Georgia Day. Uh, the Gamecocks. Play the Bulldogs. They renew their border rivalry. Uh, this is the biggest spread I can remember in this football game, 31 and a half going in. Um, I think Vegas, to a certain extent, convinced there are super teams these days, or they just don't think the Gamecocks will score <laughs> against the defense. And if you think about 34 nothing type game, that would cover that spread. But um, anyway, I picked the Gamecocks in prediction uh, Friday to, to cover. Uh, Pick the Bulldogs to win 28 to 10. Really curious to see what happens tonight on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, I think that offensively, obviously, you're looking for more cohesion, cohesiveness, however you want to put it. Block the right guys, get the right protection, uh, avoid the disaster of the first 43 minutes at East Carolina, play more like the 17. 
uh, avoid turnovers, stupid penalties, plays, you know, block somebody, uh, looking for holes in the running game. And on the Big Gamecock preview show yesterday, uh, Michael Flint made a point to point out, former Gamecock receiver Michael Flint, by the way, 1 p.m. every Friday. Uh, or if you want to catch it today after this, uh, there's a way to get it podcast form. It's up on thebigspur.com. You just go to Spotify or, or Apple Pods and, and find JB at Goldwater and they could hook you up. But Flint said, you know, and, and I agree with this, you know, Kevin Harris today, that this is probably a game where you, you need him, right? And not, I think South Carolina always needs Kevin Harris. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but the, he mentioned that last week you saw Kevin Harris run seven carries, 25 yards, really only one like Kevin Harris type run that you normally see. Um, and, I, you know, the physicality was something that he uh, pointed out. And, and Kevin is a very physical runner. I mean, last year, look at the Kentucky game. Uh, he, you know, Gamecocks weren't going all that far on offense. And, uh, you know, you got um, – you got him going for 200, uh, and a lot of those were, were, were physical. You know, running the ball, uh, you know, right down their throat, for lack of a better term. So that's uh, that, that's the, the deal there. Kevin Harris is going into his home state to play. Last year's game, which, again, I don't really put a whole lot of stock in what happened last year. South Carolina's defense was depleted and not well. <laughs> um and the Gamecocks hung with him. He got got behind twenty one nothing, and then cut it twenty one ten, and then twenty eight to ten, and then it was over. But three point one yards per carry, and he did have a touchdown, but seventeen carries for fifty three yards. That's not really what the expectation normally is for Kevin Harris. So against his home state school, that did not offer him, nor did anyone else, but Army, Navy, Air Force, and South Carolina. You know, you, you got to think he's got a chip on his shoulder. And and also, you know, he, he didn't play in the first game, was limited carries-wise uh, against ECU. You, you have to think he's sort of chomping at the bit to get going. I mean, this is the leading returning rusher in the SEC. Uh, so so I agree with Flint there. And that's something I maybe, not, maybe have not talked about a lot. You know, Kevin Harris, uh, if a guy rushes for 1,100 and whatever yards in an all-SEC season – um, he's a difference maker and he can make a difference tonight with this run game, hopefully. And so that's what you want to see on defense. You know, you, you kind of think about, you know, the fact that a lot of things uh, from last year's defense have been cleaned up a bit. Um, you know, even in the Vanderbilt game last year, Carolina doing that one dominantly 41 to seven. I remember Will Muschamp kind of bemoaning the D line and talking about how they weren't you know, they were getting pushed around and all this other stuff. And, you know, it was weird to hear that in a 41-7 to win. Uh, but then we all saw later, you know, what he was talking about. Um, and, and so I know that against Eastern Illinois and East Carolina, you know, we, this is a different-looking defense. They're playing confident. You know, Cameron Smith alone has been, uh, uh, you know, quite a case study and improvement. But, but, you know, the, you have Eastern Illinois, East Carolina. This is Georgia. You know, it's a different ball game, a different beast. And you look at Georgia last year in the game. Um, <laughs> boy, James Cook had six carries for 104 yards. I mean, they they ran it down Carolina's throat. Um, that's, you know, that was to be expected. 
Uh, JT Daniels doesn't throw it that much. There's some question as to who's going to start at quarterback, Daniels or Stetson Bennett. Uh, some people, Georgia Insiders, say it's going to be Bennett. Some people say it's going to be Daniels. Uh, you know, as far as how the Gamecocks are concerned, I, I don't know. You know, I part of me sits there and thinks Stetson Bennett's such a you know overachiever and a spitfire, and he had such a good game last week that maybe you go back to Daniels. Uh, and that would be a good thing for South Carolina. Of course, then they could just put Bennett in. The, the best news would have been if Georgia were starting Carson Beck, I, I think. Because I don't – I think Carson Beck's got a lot of talent. I just don't know that he's ready, you know, to go out and do a bunch of quarterbacking. But if the Gamecocks can't stop the run, that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter who plays quarterback. Um, you know, and that means not just the D-line. You know, that means the linebackers and the secondary have to tackle as well. Georgia's going to attack you on the perimeter. They're going to go right up the gut. They're going to have plays that, you know, build off of other plays, just like most offenses, uh, and they're going to try to go deep, uh, I think. I don't think you're going to see a repeat of the 2015 Grayson Lambert game where he dinks and dunks the whole way down the field and all that good stuff. I, I think, you know, Georgia's passing attack is is kind of set up to be a um, a, a big play operation right now. Uh, so you got to limit the big plays and all that. So, and the tight end, of course, the, the young tight end from California, whose name escapes me, uh, who had three catches for 107 yards last week. Uh, you you got to stop him. So uh, yeah, Georgia rushed for 332 yards last year in the game before. Um, Georgia didn't really rush for that many. I mean, they had uh, a ton of yards in that football game. But uh, they didn't really, you know, you kind of look at it. Rushing yards, 173. Uh, they passed for 295, believe it or not. Jake Fromm just kept throwing picks. Uh, Gamecocks in that game rushed for 142 yards, which I thought was just enough uh, to get them out uh, of the game, you know, with a win and all that. So, you know, and obviously turnovers were huge uh, in that football game. Um, Gamecocks. We're not very good on third down in that one. They were going to one for one on fourth. Uh, Georgia completed 50% of its third downs. I mean, that, that that ball game, really, statistically, Georgia got the best of the Gamecocks. Gamecocks just won the football game. And that's that's probably what's going to have to happen tonight, just to be honest. Um, uh, as far as, like, going into this game, being intimidated or, or living in fear – of Georgia, you know, South Carolina over the years recruits the state of Georgia pretty heavily. They have a lot of good, good – some of their best players are from Georgia, and that's always the case. You look back in history, Sterling Sharp's from Georgia. George Rogers is from Georgia. Connor Shaw is from Georgia. Um, some of the all-time greats to come through this program are from the state of Georgia. There's no question about it. Um, so the Gamecocks get up for them. I mean, that's, uh, that's one of those things. And for years, you know – there's been no fear, you know, on the part of the Gamecocks. And, and I, I don't think there's a lot of fear last year. I think they were just overmanned, outmanned. Um, certainly no fear in 2019. 2018 was a game that got away in the third quarter. Uh, Gamecocks did not play good defense that day. But traditionally, you know, South Carolina's defense gets up for this football game. You know, now we all can debate right now here – what is it? Eight hours before kickoff, seven hours before kickoff, whether or not this is a different level of a Georgia team uh, so far through two games, I would agree with that assessment. 
uh, but teams change week to week. Uh, I can tell you right now from talking to people inside the program this week that there's no fear going in there. Now, they they may get beat. They may get beat bad, but uh, they're not going into this game scared to death, intimidated, whatever. At least that's not the mindset from this week of practice and meetings and things like that. They they really believe they have the team to go in there and, you know, make it a fourth quarter ball game and then anything can happen. Um, you know, so far this season, it's it's hard to think that with the offense, especially with the struggles from last week. But, uh, you know, here's a little, I guess, saving grace or whatever you want to call it. You know, last week was a struggle for 43 minutes, but it was one game. Uh, I, I know that some people picked apart the Eastern Illinois game, myself included at times, but that's one of those where, you know, Gamecocks could have done anything they wanted. It was not ever in jeopardy. You played a lot of backups. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that there was – once they got up 22-29, nothing, a lot of, okay, let's go run the offense and and, and, and like we're going to do for the rest of the season – you know, and I'm not trying to throw that out because mistakes were made, uh, you know, uh, really not a lot after the first three and out, but there were mistakes that were made and, and there was thing, there were things to coach that week, especially on, up front of the offensive line, more to coach this week. But, you know, I, I, I tend to believe that the East Carolina game was not the typical uh, performance we're going to see out of this offense this year. Now, as the, Competition rises, the scoreboard, the stats, the results, the outcome, it could be uglier than that. There's no question. Uh, I just I just think that was a game really uh, where they they were getting out some kinks, obviously, and made a ton of mistakes that they needed to correct. Uh, but they still came back and won the football game. And, um, you know, most of the time <clears throat> teams improve and they clean things up and they get better. Uh, it it never kind of stays like it was, and hell, it didn't stay like it was during that football game. You know, there was a, a while there I was like, this just isn't South Carolina's day. They're going to lose this. I mean, because it just wasn't. Things just kept going wrong and wrong and wrong. Finally, they they get up off the mat and won, and that helps. That helps with confidence, and that that helps your football team because when you don't play well and you still win, uh, that's uh, that's better than the alternative, so to speak. Uh, and there are a lot of teams that have you know, some shocking losses around the country every year because they don't play well. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, Oklahoma played a game like that last season against Kansas State. Special teams breakdowns. I mean, every mistake they could have made, they made. K-State beat them 38-35. It cost them a playoff berth. But you saw Oklahoma rally uh, and, and, you know, figure it out. They didn't have problems you know, anymore. Um, and uh, they ended up getting the Big 12 title game and, and beating Iowa State because they had lost to Iowa State too and winning it. And there are just days like that where things don't go your way in football. And this may be one of them tonight where it doesn't go the Gamecocks way or maybe it doesn't go George's way. But survive in advance, you know, you take it forward, uh, that type of thing. And and I think the confidence on this team uh, is – is high right now. And, and I think that regardless of what happens this week, they're going to come back next week and maintain confidence against a barring a shocking upset, uh, a very good Kentucky football team. 
that probably will be in the top 25 <clears throat> coming to Williams-Brice Stadium next week. Uh, there's there's no pressure on the Gamecocks in the sense that, you know, this is a huge Titanic battle of top 10 teams that has playoff implications right now or anything like that. Um, so, so I'm sure they'll play loose and free and all that happiness uh, in this football game. But, but they're, at the same time, though, it is Georgia. And, and, you know, there's two games on the schedule everybody circles, Georgia and Clemson, every single season. Uh, and I think for me and for a lot of people, Tennessee is one of those games you, you, you circle as well. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of how all that plays out. You know, the bottom line is you can be as confident as you want. You can be as loose as you want. Uh, you can go out there and do whatever, you know, mindset-wise you want. But it's nothing like once the ball is kicked off, once you start getting hit in the mouth, once you start hitting people in the mouth, uh, the momentum of the game, the crowd, you know, th- there's all those things that can – change that and, and I think the Gamecocks need to just uh kind of chill out you know and and and, and uh relax and, and and get through some of the ultimate uh ultimate waves <clears throat> now I was told by the same contact last week before East Carolina that they expected to take a shot from East Carolina to survive it and then take control of the game and that's exactly what happened so I thought that was interesting uh, same guy told me this week, hey, you know, we think we can get in the fourth quarter. So we'll see. We will see what happens tonight. It's always exciting to to have SEC football. Um, and this is a chance, I think, for South Carolina in primetime on ESPN uh, to kind of show some people. You know, I, I read uh, one of the, I guess, folks on the Georgia message board breaks the game down every week for him, kind of like some guys do on our site on the big spur. It's not a professional writer. So I'm going to cut him some slack here by not knowing the ins and outs of South Carolina football, but he made the comment. He's like, Enig Barre and Jordan Birch are the two best defensive linemen. And, but after that, everybody's terrible. And, and I started thinking about it. And I, I mean, I guess he's talking about ends and we, we all know, folks, that's not the case. The Gamecocks go four deep at defensive end with pretty good players. Any of them could start, really. You got Enigbari, you got Sterling, uh, you got Strawn, and you got Birch. Three of those four guys are from the state of Georgia. So I don't know. I don't know who's missing what. Um, you know, they're not terrible. They're actually Sterling and Strawn are, you know, historically very productive. Uh, Enigbari is an all SEC player, and, and obviously Birch. So, I, I think that was a little recruiting ranking type talk. Uh, let's look at the LSEC team and then, oh, he's a five-star, so he's great. But uh, And Jordan Burks is playing really well, don't get me wrong, but there's a nice four-guy rotation there. I, I mean, I, I think, honestly, when you look at the guys that would come into the game at times uh, when the Gamecocks had their great defensive lines in the early parts of the 2010s or whatever, you know, there wasn't – four interchangeable defensive ends. I mean, there was obviously a drop-off between Clowney and whoever was backing him up or Taylor or whoever. Um, so, I, you know, I dare I say that at least from a depth standpoint, you know, things appear to be better. Now, you know, look, is there a Clowney here? We don't know that. Uh, and Igbari's all SEC, but, uh, you know, Clowney, <laughs> one of the top players in the history of college football. Um, Melvin Ingram as well. You got to give Melvin a lot of credit, um, you know, for not only what he did at Carolina, but what he's doing now. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought, I thought the reason I mentioned that was I, 
I think that there's just a lack of knowledge about South Carolina, you know, about the players and stuff. Cause you know, when you're, when you're looking at Kentucky, you can say, well, they got a transfer quarterback from Penn state. They got a transfer receiver. Uh, that's a big play guy from Nebraska. Uh, we know about him. Uh, we know about Chris Rodriguez, proven, proven guys, you know, and you just chalk it up to that, you know, Tennessee, especially quarterback, they have a lot of names, Joe Milton, Hendon Hooker, uh, Harrison Bailey. Uh, Hooker's starting for them today, by the way, against Tennessee Tech because Joe Milton is injured. Uh, and so people can kind of hang their hat on that. You know, the Gamecocks, you know, th- this was a historically bad defense last year. A lot of those guys participated in that. You know, the, the, you look on paper, they lost J.C. Horn and Izzy McQuamu to the NFL. They lost John Dixon to Penn State, Jamie Robinson to Florida State. And so you go, man, who are these guys? It's like the, the Cleveland Indians in Major League <laughs> uh, to a certain extent, you know. But um, I think it's a chance tonight for, you know, the country really uh, – to pay attention and for some of South Carolina's players to really show that, you know, how good they could possibly be against a very talented Georgia Bulldogs football team tonight, kickoff 7 PM ESPN. Uh, and this is the weekly wrap. So we're going to clear the, uh, the inbox uh, from the I help consulting mailbag. So uh, I want to tell you about I help consulting. And I've told you before, Daniel Owens can help you save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, et cetera, without sacrificing quality. But you may be wondering, how does it work, JC? How does it work? Is this something, some kind of consultant craziness that's going to just cost me more money? It's really not worth it. No, 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 no. It's very simple. First of all, you call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713. Set up a quick phone call or a quick face-to-face meeting. Daniel will then examine where there may be savings and let you know if you're paying some junk fees or if your rates are too high. Uh, and you may be wondering how iHelp gets paid. Or, you know, like I said, a consultant will charge you more than they're worth. Don't want it. You may think iHelp may save me three grand, but they're going to charge me four. Well, that's not how iHelp does business. You only pay a percentage of your first year savings. Not only that, if they can't save you money, again, you don't owe them a dime. So right now, iHelp is running a half-off promotion because they're in such a good mood. Gamecock football is back in 2-0. So if you tell Daniel you heard about it right here on the podcast, you can receive the promotion. Half-off, man. Half-off. Again, Daniel Owens, iHelp Consulting, 843-372-5713. Give him a shot. You won't be disappointed. Uh, Again, the iHelp Consulting mailbag has been overflowing this week, and uh, it's awesome. It's 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 really awesome. Uh, so, all right, we got uh, we go through here and blah blah blah, and you know, there's two ways to get in. Uh, first of all, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. By the way, also follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. That Instagram page is more and more active. Make it part of your Gamecock Instagram experience. <laughs> uh, so you tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, and I read all of those. Uh, but then you can also send an email to inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. So I, yesterday I did a lot of the tweets, uh, and not a lot of the emails. And so today we've got the emails left over and we also have got, uh, yeah, we just got the email. Somebody tweeted in and, and laughed that Tennessee was in the abyss. Uh, 
And he said he's dying laughing. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. And I know a lot of Gamecocks, especially those that were around in the 90s when they were coming to South Carolina, stealing all the players. Uh, couldn't happen to a nicer bunch, some people think. I've got a lot of Tennessee friends. I've got actually more friends that pull for Tennessee and Georgia than Clemson, which is weird growing up in South Carolina. Uh, but all my friends just happen to be Gamecock fans. I mean, and, and one, one, I have one friend. Michael, that's a lifelong buddy of mine since high school and college that were, was a Clemson guy. But other than that, you know, with the exception of an ex-girlfriend, you know, and, and maybe in another friend on the periphery, it's all Gamecocks or Tennessee or Georgia. Um, of course, I lived in Nashville and I lived in Atlanta, but, you know, a lot of those friends are like from South Carolina that are Tennessee and Georgia fans. So it's weird. Um, so I, I think Tennessee fans – the, the ones I know are pretty good people, you know, they, after 13 years of mediocrity, they don't really look down on anybody anymore. They used to <laughs> South Carolina's automatic win, but um, anyway, so, so, so there's my point there, but that was the one tweet we got. Uh, so I'm going to head to the inbox inside the game at gmail.com. Justin says JC and he spelled it like JC horn. <laughs> Normally, I tweet short questions like the one about your turtles. This one was too long for Twitter, though. I'm confused as to the way they're using Takari and Joyner at quarterback. It's oddly timed and predictable. He has to throw the ball at some point if they're going to run that right. Uh, yeah, and I'd like to see him do something that does not require him to run wide or juke somebody or, you know, I, I think he's good going north-south from the line of scrimmage and making people miss. I think, you know, in terms of his athleticism, that's, you know, juking. That's kind of what he's good. That made him good as a quarterback. Um, But, yeah, I think he's got to throw it. Um, I think it's been – I'd scrap that. You know, like, honestly, after two weeks, I would scrap it. You know, and and I'm not one that wants to just give up because something doesn't work. But I agree completely with you, Justin. It's been oddly timed. And what he's done is, has been predictable out of it. So, you know, are they setting that up for him to throw? I don't know. You know. I wouldn't do it against this bunch. I wouldn't do it at all. But that's just me. Second, I'm also with you on not pulling the trigger on Satterfield being Roper because he's taught, called two games with a system designed for a quarterback like Doty who's been out with an injury. I want to clarify this. There's a lot of that they put in quarterback run game-wise for Doty, but – I, I, it's not – they didn't just design it for Doty, okay? They 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 designed it to be kind of versatile and, and do different things with different styles of quarterbacks. There's an element to it that uh, they had for Doty. Um, and and I, I just don't buy that as, okay, uh, in my opinion, as to why, you know, everything sort of, in op, you know, doesn't operate correctly on offense. Um, I don't. I don't think any, I, I, you know, Doty being out hurts the offense executionable. But I, yeah, I think some of these things are not excusable in terms of that. But uh, that's just me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, do they miss Luke Doty? Absolutely. Not trying to compare this team to years past, but seeing the team overcome being down on top of questionable calls, the attitude just felt different. Yeah, I mean, think about the bad call against Florida in 2019. The team just fell apart. You know, now for the second year in a row. Todd Grantham ate Brian McClendon's lunch in the fourth quarter, as did Dan Mullen and over T-Rob and Will Muschamp in the fourth quarter. But, uh, 
you know, yeah, I agree. The attitude felt different. And look, sometimes like you don't play your best, you play like crap and you still win. That facilitates better play later in the season. We've seen it. I mean, look, man, uh, the 2012 team almost lost to Vanderbilt in the opener. The 2011 team beat Navy by a field goal. The 2012 team beat Tennessee by a field goal. Um, you know, there's been all those struggle games with Wofford. <laughs> Remember those during the Spurrier era? And, and, and what happened, you know, what happened was the Gamecocks still won, got out of it alive, and it, it allowed them to, you know, hey, look, we survived. Let's just go correct it and keep playing. And, and that's, that's a good one. You don't dwell on close wins. You know, you, you, you say, we won, move on to the next thing. And, yeah, it did feel different. I, I thought that that – you know, and, and I think this bunch, as much losing as they've been through, you know, they deserve to go out and, and enjoy victories uh, uh, this year, uh, no matter how they come. So, Justin continues, this isn't an opinion piece of my question. Is seeing the adjustments that were, were made in the fourth quarter by the offense, do you think that the offense will continue to evolve as long as the defense can keep us in games? Thanks for the content. Um, I hope, <laughs> I, I hope, I, you know, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, we really don't know what Kevin Harris in this offense can do. Um, I would hope they would run some plays he was comfortable with and that he's been successful with before. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, you don't know what's going to happen if Dodie, when Dodie gets back, which may be as soon as tonight. Um, there's some receivers that we're kind of waiting on. I mean, I think they need to get Jaheim Bell the ball more. Uh, you know, Amarian Brown, can he be a deep guy? You know, that's what he did at Georgia Tech. Um, Jalen Brooks, where's he been? You know, uh, Nick Muse hadn't caught anything since the first drive of, or the second drive of the opener. I think maybe, yeah, he had, he had another one against EIU. But, I mean, there is a lot in terms of, like, players that are out there that you know we hadn't seen them get the ball or try to get the ball see what they could do so um and i think you know the defense you know this is a big test tonight you know we're going to find out is, is this defense going to be like one of the best that they've had which is capable of considering the talent on the d-line and, and the fact that a lot of guys have improved or is this defense going to be just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, they can at times go in and, and, and play well and shut teams down, but, you know, they are limited against certain types of teams and athletes and things like that. We're going to find that out. I'm excited to see, you know, South Carolina's defense tonight, you know, against a Georgia offense that obviously put up a lot of points and yards last week, but didn't really against Clemson. Um I'm just excited to see the matchup. I mean, you know, Gamecocks may get gashed or to give up a lot of big plays in the secondary. Uh, that I'm, I'm warning you guys right now, that could happen. It's plausible. Uh, but I'm excited to see kind of how they match up because I, I think, you know, the first two weeks have been a bit better than expected, um, you know, because they just haven't allowed anything. Uh, you know, one field goal drive in eight quarters of football for 67 yards, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, drive and look, they gave up the big play first play of the game. Uh, that could have happened to anybody. 
Um, if Eastern Illinois had thrown that and they had a receiver behind the defense, they would have scored. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, you know, Vanderbilt would have scored against East Tennessee State if they had done. I mean, you know, I'd, it's hard for me to sit there and go, oh, yeah, be, you know, that, that's awful because they should have been ready because I, who's ready for that? You know, you can tell them to watch it. You expect a trick play early, but on the first play, that's just that's what happens. Now, sometimes people run that uh, trick play or long pass early, and it's a disaster because the defense sniffs it out, and then you got a receiver chunking it down the field, and it goes in the arms of an opposing safety, and it's a pick six, and all of a sudden you're down. So those are always risky to do. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with them converting. The other play was a 12-yard drive for a touchdown. Uh, and then a 14-play, 67-yard grinded out kind of deal for a field goal where the defense held. So, I, you know, they hadn't given up much. Georgia's a different animal, though. Uh, so, uh, there we go. All right, Justin, appreciate it. Cartwright. Well, I guess Mark Satterfield answered my question yesterday about opening up the playbook. Did you watch the interview? He said they have not opened up their playbook at all. Kind of crazy to think what we might see on Saturday. My main question is about UGA's offense. I'd like to think that I'm not delusional. and I do think UGA will win. However, with their offense and defense, I just don't see them being able to score 35 points, let alone beat us by that much. Your thoughts? It just kind of depends, Carl, right? You know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not quite sure Georgia – is going to be the most explosive offense this year, uh, despite, you know, I thought the UAB game was sort of an ambush. I don't I don't know that Bill Clark and his staff expected Stetson Bennett to step back and chuck it deep all that time. Um, but, you know, 35 points. I mean, you know, what happens if the Gamecocks have terrible field position, they continue to fumble, uh, to continue to – you know, turn the ball over, interceptions, can't pass, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, what normally are 70-yard drives against your defense become 25. And that's a lot – that's a lot easier. So, you know, but I, look, I'm not totally sold on Georgia's offense. I, I think that – I think their running backs are, are very good. Um, Not as good as the guys they've had in the past, but very good nonetheless, and they have a lot of them. Uh, you know, I think that whether it's Daniels or Bennett, both those guys are capable quarterbacks. I like their young tight end. Uh, I, I think their receivers kind of have a chip on their shoulder, kind of like South Carolina's and have something to prove. There's just more of them. And I think they have more speed at that position than the Gamecocks. You know, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, th and that's the part of this game. The defense for South Carolina, you know, that, that's, you know, everybody's talking about the offense and Zeb Nolan and Luke Doty and, all that because that's the focus. But, you know, South Carolina's defense has to go play, continue to play at the level they're playing. Uh, and when I talked about, you know, some guys can kind of show the country who they are, a lot of those guys are right there on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so we'll see. You know, like, look, as far as the line goes, even if I didn't cover South Carolina, I'd look at that line and I would not be deterred by 56-7 against UAB and I would take the Gamecocks and the points. Um, so that's the deal. Jeff says, firstly, let me say in the end, a win is a win. We're two and zero. And that's also awesome. feels good to win. All that said, we have offensive issues. 
hopefully the Zeb for Heisman crowd saw why he was why he was playing why he was a GA and not playing his final year of eligibility. Now, I'm glad he had one. He says because and I lost the screen. There we go. We would have been in real trouble had Zeb not been available. That said, we need to get Doty well. He certainly gives us the best chance to win. Especially since Wantham and Turner time continue to play poorly up front. It may be time for next man up. Maybe if they keep getting beat one-on-one. Like, like, look, so Marcus Satterfield says one thing about the protection. So did Beamer this week that it really wasn't on the line. Uh, and if and I've said this for many, you know, years here, especially trying to explain some of the terrible defense of last season. When you're confused and you don't know what to do, you're not going to look like you could play. Period. You're going to play slow. You're going to look like you're missing blocks. You're going to be, well, who do I hit? That kind of thing. So they need to fix that. I, I don't care what kind of fancy smancy blocking scheme you have. You got to fix it. I mean, you got to simplify it. That's the problem. You know, so is it the problem? I don't know. I've, I've, see, I've seen some things individually out of turn of time that made me think, eh, Ja'Kai Moore could be a guy. You know, Dylan Wanham has not played up to his potential, in my opinion, individually since he was a freshman. Uh, and, and, you know, if he wants to play in the NFL, he's going to have to, to, you know, get do it to it, you know, get back to the guy he wants. He said sometimes that gets a player playing to his potential if it's the next man up. I agree. However, it seems we haven't targeted our best players much either. That's coaching and our quarterback play. Satterfield has me a little concerned as well. What we've seen play calling wise has been sandbagging and not just another offensive coordinator that can't call a good game. Eh, you know, I don't know about sandbagging. Uh, if they did sandbag against ECU, I don't agree with it. Um, I, I think, you know, now I don't agree with it right now. You know, we're nine hours from kick, seven hours from kickoff, whatever. Uh, if they go out against Georgia and completely catch the Bulldogs with their pants down and go up and down the field, uh, it'll be genius. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't know. Um, he said, that's my question. Does your gut tell you it's lack of ability with Satterfield or is it gazemanship? I said, oh, I'm going to really give my opinion on this, even in a little bit of a way until after Kentucky. Um, you know, because against these guys tonight, no matter what you call, may not it may not work. Um, I, I think the sample size is probably too small. I think you have to go through the season. I, I think you have to see kind of how he, what he's done, because he's a quarterback's coach too. You got to see kind of what he's done with Luke Doty. Uh, practice Luke Doty's gotten better and improved, but we haven't seen him in a game. Uh, that type of thing before you judge it. I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, are there concerns? Are there red flags? Yeah. You know, uh, the you know you look like you don't know what you're doing for 43 minutes against East Carolina. That's a red flag. There's no question. But um, – you know, I, I know this about Shane Beamer, uh, and, and one of the things that he's always been able to do is know evaluate coaches really well. Uh, he did it at South Carolina when Spurrier was there. I mean, he's got a lot of insight into that. That's one of his strengths, really. Um, so I don't – right now, it's, 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 it's hard to tell. I, mean, I, I, still, I still have a lot of faith in Shane uh, in terms of being able to hire a good coach, and I, and I think certainly – you know, the idea with Marcus Satterfield was there. But uh, like I said before, it, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are play callers that 
you know, they're not necessarily great at calling plays. They're great at the chalkboard. They're great at dissecting it. They're great meetings. You know, you, you read their offensive plan and you're like, wow, you know, this is great. Um, but then you get in the game and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's caddy wampus. All right, everybody take a shot. Those of you that did the, the drink it, the, the inside of the game guys drinking game, caddy wampus was on that list. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with him. I, you know, I, I would imagine you're playing your border rival. You're in the SEC opener. You're playing the number two teams in the country. You just let it all hang out. And that doesn't necessarily mean trick plays and all that. That means cohesion and getting into some stuff that you normally haven't for first two games, that type of stuff. So, all right. Terrell says, what's up, JC? Terrell checking in from D.C., District of Columbia. All right. D.C. Gamecocks, man. Uh, know some people that attend those games or whatever. I agree with your assessment that defense is a backer in 2021 and 2022. I'm uh, sorry. 2020 was kind of a mirage for lack of a better word for great offensive numbers. I agree. That being said, how would you evaluate the breakout offensive performances like Kevin Harris, for example, do you think we'll see many players not meeting high expectations in 2021 because they put up great numbers against defenses that were clearly down? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Well, Kevin Harris, you know, the good news is he did what he did in 10 games last season. The Gamecocks have 10 games left, so he can get there. You know, but the other thing to consider is, you know, he there's other backs, you know, Marshawn Lloyd's there. What was the Quandre White's there? Juju McDowell saved the day last week. So, so he's, he's not going to get as many, even regardless, he's not going to get as many opportunities uh, this season. Now, you know, do they need to ride him? And does it does the running back rotation need to not resemble an NFL preseason game? Absolutely. Uh, they got to get him lathered up and really Marshawn Lloyd too. And then the other two, I think you can you can use from time to time. Now, now look, I, I'm gonna say this. Uh, if it gets to the point where Harris is getting bottled up and Lloyd's getting bottled up and Juju McDowell is the only guy that can run the ball, you play him. I mean, there, there's no question, and that could be the case. Juju's kind of a unique guy because he's 5'9", 180, and he's hard to see, and darts, and, you know, he's a different kind of guy. Um, but anyway, uh, so so do I see that as far as numbers go? Yeah, if you look around the country, there's a lot of folks that put up on offense that put up some sick numbers that their production's maybe not there, and then you're going to get the what's wrong with him kind of deal. Well, nothing's wrong. People are just playing defense again. That happens, okay? It's It's life. <laughs> uh, you know, and 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 we'll see sort of uh sort of how that ends up going. But yeah, I'm sure there's gonna be some players around the country that that had good numbers last year that maybe don't quite get there this season because of the defenses. Now the but the other thing to keep in mind too, Terrell, and I'll I'll flip this back. Nobody really played a bunch of games. I mean, you you're gonna you're gonna have everybody playing 12 games this season, 13 with bowls, 14, 15 with the playoffs. Um, you know, some teams only played like four or five games last year. So we'll, we'll kind of see how everything goes with that. But, um, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind. You know, a lot of these numbers last year with more games this year, maybe some guys will get to their, their marks. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Terrell. Don't be a stranger. Hang up, you know, say hello to everyone up there in DC for me. Uh, Ken, 
new year listener and first time submission into the iHealth Consulting mailbag. I want to start out by saying I really love the podcast. And as a Carolina alumni, I appreciate the work you do. Thank you, Kim. I would like to hear your take on something that I heard the other day on JB and Goldwater. They had a writer from the Post and Courier who said, after the Georgia game, we will know what the trajectory of this South Carolina team and the Beamer era will be. <laughs> Oof, who said that? I tend to disagree with this statement. The trajectory of this team and the Shane Beamer era cannot be decided over one game. Even if we get blown out, I don't think we truly make a good assessment of where we're heading until the conclusion of the last game of the season. It seems like a lot of Gamecock fans want to jump to conclusions so early in the season when we really need to let Shane do his thing. Yeah, I mean, the jumping to conclusions thing is just society, I think. Uh, and, and I think, too, you know, there's there's a lot of I, – I, I hate to use the word PTSD because PTSD is a real thing, you know, and people throw it around sometimes. Um, let's say pseudo-PTSD out of respect for those that really are suffering through PTSD. Uh, Pseudo-PTSD from the Muschamp era, you know, never things are hopeless, never things are never going to get better. Some people in their mind, it's like Muschamp's not knock on. <laughs> uh you know, and some people like no matter who Ray Tanner hires for anything, Ray Tanner's getting blamed for the losses, and and so they they don't have a lot of hope, uh, or they're nervous. And you know, and look, and look, South Carolina's got a passionate fan base like everybody else. You know, you, you've got a lot of emotion uh, that goes in to following this team, covering this team, loving this team. We wait all year for football season. Uh, it's to be expected, but I, I don't care too much for the jumping to conclusions. At the same time, that's sort of my business. I mean, you know, it, it is for people to get in and discuss. And uh, when there's discussion and debate, there's a lot of jumping to conclusions. I mean, you, you see that in a sports bar, you know, there's guys sitting around, ah, you know, this guy's not going to go, for, this guy's not going to go for 300 yards this year or whatever. So, you know, uh, that's the thing. I personally have no problem. Ken goes on waiting four to six seasons to give him a chance to write the ship. I don't think he's going to have four to six seasons. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm, when I say that I'm talking, you're not going to have a situation like Mark Stoops at Kentucky, where we hope to get to a bowl game in the fifth year. That that's, that's not South Carolina football. South Carolina is not in that big of a hole. I don't care if it's 70 to nothing tonight. South Carolina's not in that big of a hole, period. Bottom line, you can look at the NFL draft numbers after this year and, and look at the players that, you know, and just let the season play out. Now, uh, do people need to be complaining if they don't get to six wins this year, depending on how they look? No. Do I think they will get to six wins? Probably. You know, we'll see. Uh so Ken goes on. It won't happen tonight or this year, but we can take steps to get there this season. I think one thing Gamecock Nation needs to take heart to is to have patience and enjoy the season while it is here. Thanks for your time and sorry for the long email. It's okay, Ken. People send longer. Go Gamecocks in capital letters. Uh, I, I don't know who the writer for the Post and Courier was. Um, you know, got a lot of respect for David Cloninger. Uh, so, uh, you know, if he said it, maybe he would like that one back. Um, if it was another guy that writes down there, it doesn't surprise me that something that uh, whacked out would, would would be what he said. But um, 
you know, I, I, I'll just say it right there out of respect for, for those, those guys in that publication, but uh, I don't agree with it at all. I, you know, I, I've said for a long time, you know, first things first, you know, you can't sit there and expect first year head coach, even, even though the roster is not as bad as people made it out to be, even though South Carolina, I, you know, I don't think we'll end up 13th out of 14 teams in the league this year. Um, even though, you know, people were like, Beamer's never been a coordinator. You know, and then, but it's Sam Pittman, you know, and look, man, it took Sam Pittman until, you know, this year beating Texas. People started giving him respect. I did from the start because I was like, Arkansas was supposed to be historically bad. And away they go, winning three conference games and breaking a long losing streak. Uh, he was never a coordinator, by the way. Lots of people weren't. So anyway, uh, nobody, you know, the people that think that, you know, I think will end up being wrong. But but this game tonight is one game. It's always one game. And the trajectory of the season and the Beamer era, you know, there's, there's steps you have to take when you're building a program. Um, and I think Shane is, is a little more fortunate than Muschamp or, or even Spurrier or Holtz in that, that he's got – a good foundation of young guys that stuck with it, you know, and Muschamp recruited them, but you've got to give Beamer and his staff credit because they've all stuck with it. Uh, you know, with the 2020 class, they've got some good guys for 2021, obviously uh, 2022 is promising. So they're not behind like a staff would be if they just came in through together a recruiting class, then that second class eh, is okay. And then you kind of peak and get, you know, your third class is there. Then it's year five by the time that class ends up, doing well. Um, and that's not the exact timeline the Muschamp era followed. I think Muschamp's first class was his best. Uh, we'll see what 2019, 2020, 2018 ended up being. But, uh, you know, normally, you know, Shane would be a lot further behind, okay? Now, are there holes? Do they need help? Do they need to recruit their way out of some spots? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, but this game – it's not going to decide the trajectory of the Beamer era. I mean, that's just asinine, uh, you know, uh, this season even. Uh, and I, I mean, back to what I was originally going to say, I tend to ramble and go off on tangents sometimes. Everybody drink if I went off on a tangent, the drinking game, guys. Uh, I did say Caddy Wampus earlier, so hopefully you guys got a shot in. Um I, you know, first things first, South Carolina has a two game losing streak to Missouri in a game that you get a trophy for. That's important, right? Uh, they have a two game losing streak to Tennessee, and Tennessee's been bad. They've lost six of seven or seven of eight or six of seven, I think, to the University of Kentucky, which is a program that should not be better than South Carolina. Um, you know, the, they, they, they had before beating East Carolina. They lost lost two in a row from teams from North Carolina after not losing a game to a team from North Carolina since 99. They had a two-game losing streak in openers they snapped with Eastern Illinois. The Gamecocks, I think, went, have won historically about 78% of their openers, even though they normally don't open with an FCS team or an easy team. You know, sometimes they open on the road in Charlotte and – uh, they open at NC State under Holtz. I mean, you know, used to open with Georgia every year. So, you know, 
those are the things that Beamer, as far as wins and losses go, needs to reclaim. You know, and yes, the Georgia game's mag, you know, definitely important every year. Uh, it used to determine. It used to really did determine the season. You know, I mean, for for both teams in a lot of ways. Now there was the weirdness in 2011 and um, 2011 and 20, 2012 too. 2011, 2012, where the Gamecocks were better, but because of the schedule, Georgia won the East. You know, so that was weird. But, you know, it's South Carolina really – have they had a losing season? Yeah, all right. The, 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 so I'd have to go back in time and check this. But 93 and 2019 – are the only years I can remember where the Gamecocks actually beat Georgia and had a losing season since I started following in 1986. I don't know about before then. But, yeah, you know, 93, that was the brand of Bennett over the top. 2019 was the Parker White's field goal. Other than that, you know, I think every year Carolina's beaten Georgia in a season, they've had at least a 500 record. 07, they didn't get to a bowl, but they were 6-6. Six and six. So hopefully I'm not mistaken. That. Now, if Andrew Pinnock doesn't fumble in 02, well, wait a minute. Nope, that would have made him 6-6, six and six, so never mind. Saw that David Pollock play today on, when I was glancing at game day. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Um, maybe, maybe they didn't I, – I would imagine, I didn't hear the statement, maybe they didn't know – maybe they didn't know, like, that they were really saying that as far as the Beamer era as a whole. Maybe they were just talking about this year's team. That would be a little more plausible. But, yeah, this game's not going to determine an error. Eric says, hope all is well. With Satterfield being so much, much like Roper, just messing with you. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, seriousness, though, do you think some of the offensive struggles could be that between a new system, new guy quarterback, even if he was a grad assistant? Uh, could be the culprit behind a lot of the issues with the offense. It, it would seem that way. I mean, I you know, because something's not working in terms of getting on the same page. Could they just need time to gel and get comfortable? You'd hope that, honestly, you know, because you, you can't keep making those mistakes as you go along. There's no point in – I mean, you know, you may as well play Colton golf here if you can't get in the right play because – you know, he's got a better arm. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, and if he's going to screw up, if your grad assistant guy is going to screw up, you know, you, you know, may as well play the freshman and because and, if he's going to screw up just as much. Um, but you hope that. I mean, I, and I think that's that's realistic. Uh, could it also be that they're also not trying to put too much on Zeb too quickly? Uh, again, I I would think that's why you play Zev. I mean, he's got experience and knew the playbook and all that. So um, I know he's a grad assistant, should know the offense, but he wasn't really there long. He just got into coaching. He's only been running the offense a few weeks now. Yeah, and hopefully that's the case, Eric. I I, I really do. And, and I think that we're going to find out. We're not going to find out the trajectory of the Beamer era tonight, but we're going to find out if they're capable of – you know, making those adjustments and and not being because, you know, like, look, the term dumpster fire gets thrown around a lot, but offense was a dumpster fire. You know, you've got missed blocks, you've got missed protections, you're not calling the right plays, you've got turnovers, you got you know what I call WTF plays, 
you know, those can't happen. It's tough enough to win when you're out there knowing what you're doing and doing the right thing. Um, so we'll find out. We'll find out this week and next week and you know, maybe in Detroit. So we'll see. Um, okay. Daniel says, I know we're in football season, but it's always recruiting season. Could you do a rundown on who's left on the board and what our chances are with the remaining targets? Do you expect new targets to come up with the new limits coming? I do. Um, depending on what those rules specifically state, I don't have the whole board in front of me. Uh, I know that you've got Stone Blanton is still out there. You got Oscar Depp and Antonio Williams, who are the top two guys. Uh, on offense right now, you know, they're still kind of looking for a running back. If Delp goes to Georgia, like a lot of people expect him to do, who's the next tight end? Uh, those are questions that could be answered moving forward. Um, Jay Sean Barham, uh, the big-time guy from Baltimore as an edge player. James Pierce, who I personally think is great from Charlotte, another edge player. So they're going to be active on the edges because – you know, you you have Enigbare, Sterling, and Strawn who are all draft eligible this year, and Enigbare is going. Strawn may come back. Uh, Sterling's, I think, out of time. So they're going to have to replace some guys uh, up there. You know, maybe you move Rosendo Lewis there. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so they need some edge players and stuff like that. They may hit the portal for an edge, too, I would guess. But, uh, you know, they also like, though, Tyree Johnson. Uh, you like him. You got Hot Rod Fenton, uh, those guys. So we'll see. Thanks, Daniel, uh, for the question. And one last one, Tristan. On the Georgia game, I think it's ugly unless Doty plays, and then it's closer but still a tough loss. But anyway, one of someone else's questions made me think of this one. Name one single player from SEC teams that you think changed programs forever or at least a long time. SEC teams, program-changing guys. I'm going to go – all right, so program changing. I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with Bo Jackson at Auburn. Um, Auburn has always been pretty good. Bo was kind of one of the the guys that – in the Pat Dye era that really got him going. Um. They started beating Alabama pretty regularly, you know, and, and they have before. Auburn's always been pretty good, but but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with uh, with that uh, for Auburn. Uh, you know, I, I'll also say that uh, Shane Matthews at Florida. Uh, now this was Steve Spurrier too, but Shane Matthews was the fifth string quarterback and ended up winning the job and throwing for a billion yards, and that's when Florida. All of a sudden, Spurrier got there, and they were really good. Uh, so that would be another guy. Um, you know, I, at South Carolina, during the SEC era, I, I think it was Marcus Lattimore because, you know, South Carolina under Spurrier was a 6-7-8 win team, you know, for five years. And they recruited well. They had some difference makers as some players. But Marcus was the difference that year in 2010. And that was the breakthrough year. And I think that facilitated a lot of confidence in this program with the group they had all the way up through the Muschamp era because I think some of those guys that were left over from Spurrier really helped with the culture, you know, the team aspect, the winning aspect, which I think I think that culture's back, by the way. I, I do. I, I, I was worried when Muschamp left, when it started being reported that there was – 
culture issues that people would just throw all of Muschamp's players under the bus. Um, but Muschamp recruited a lot of good guys. I mean, these are guys that go to class, they, they graduate, they're good kids, they don't get in trouble. Uh, a lot of them are really talented, you know. Um, not a lot, they're not a bunch of choir boys, but they're, you know, they're coachable guys, coachable guys. Uh, and so I think that's wrong. But I, I think I think that I think Marcus Lattimore coming to South Carolina, you know, set the tone. I mean, one could argue that Stephon Gilmore was that type of recruit. Now, Sean Jeffrey, because that, that was the class before. But, you know, Marcus just took this team from a team that couldn't run the ball, uh, that was reliant on passes for your passing the ball. Um, sometimes erratic quarterback play or, or not a lot of receivers and, you know, the offense would bog down and then a really good defense that took them from that to a team that, you know, you, you have to fear number 21. Um, and it's just a shame what happened to him. You know, I, I know Marcus a little bit. And I, I hate that that happened to him. You know, I, I, I I think about it almost every day, but that's, you know, that's football. He's doing well in life and all that. And, you know, his life is now about helping others. And, and, you know, I think that's sometimes what God wants, but, you know, if I had to do a program changing guy uh, at South Carolina, it's Marcus Lattimore. Uh, Just because once he got there, then that's what, you know, Gamecocks have been to the SEC championship game now. Uh, everybody wants to get back there. You know, it's proven it can be done, you know, that kind of thing. And before that, you know, it was more of a, hey, you know, hopefully you can win nine type of situation around South Carolina. So there's that, Tristan. That's a good question. I appreciate that. And that's it. That's all the time for the wrap today. Right at an hour. Good deal. Weekly wrap. I'll be back next week with my thoughts on the Georgia game. <laughs> Hopefully it goes well for the Gamecocks. Again, don't forget the big Gamecock pre-game preview show with myself, JB and Goldwater, Michael Flint. It's just an hour. Uh, it gets you through the day if you're waiting on the kickoff or whatever. Uh, want to watch some other games, want some Gamecock content. Maybe you're in a tailgate. Maybe you're in Athens. Who knows? Uh, or on the way to Athens, Sanford Stadium. Sanford Stadium between the hedges. The, the dirty dogs against the Gamecocks. Uh, we miss Larry Munson. All of us do. We all miss Larry Munson around college football. Anyway, I hope you guys have a wonderful day, a wonderful weekend, and we'll holler at you soon. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert. Signing off. Have a great weekend.